0: Illinois, January 5th, 2000. Witnesses report a giant, slow-moving black triangle, its flight characteristics defy Explanation, and the Air Force denies any knowledge of the object. What did they see? Was it a secret government aircraft or something out of this world? Let's find out on this week's episode, The Illinois Triangles. It's the Alien Conspiracy Podcast. We are your hosts,
1: Agent ETA and Agent Anderson. Come along as we examine UFO sightings, conspiracies, and all things strange. Follow the show on Twitter at AlienConPod. But first, it's time for Strange Events, Bizarre Facts, The Unbelievable Revealed, this is the mind boggle of the week. The estimate of the situation, or E T O S. Before Project Blue Book, before Project Grudge, there was Project Sign. We first learned of Project Sign and the E T O S in 1956 when retired Air Force Captain Edward J. Rupert published his book. The report on unidentified flying objects. Intelligence organizations often write an estimate of the situation to provide, well, an estimate of the situation. Project Sign investigated UFO reports for a year and came to a tentative conclusion UFOs were intelligently controlled extraterrestrial craft. This controversial opinion was summarized in 1948 when Project Sign authored their estimate. People at the highest levels of command didn't like it one bit and ordered the document destroyed. Supposedly all copies were burned, and the Air Force maintains to this day that it never existed in the first place. While we don't have a copy of this infamous report or proof of its existence, Several credible witnesses such as Dr. Alan Hynek and Major Dewey Fournay confirmed that they saw a copy and that Rupolt's description of the document was correct. So basically, the Air Force determined all the way back in 1948 that E.T. was visiting us. Why was the report destroyed? Were they afraid that the public might panic? Perhaps some dark conspiracy was at work. Whatever the reason for suppressing the estimate of the situation, the fact that our government came to this conclusion so many years ago boggles the mind. And now it's time for the show. All right. So this case, I think,
0: is a really awesome case to mention to anybody because of uh, not necessarily how solid like um, picture information or or, um, physical evidence for the case may be, but how solid the actual witnesses are. And um, the entire legitimacy, I think, of, of the case rides upon that. Um, there's only one picture taken of of the object that we're going to mention, uh, and it's a pretty subpar picture. There's not a whole lot you can tell besides there's a couple lights in it, you know. Right. But um, yeah, th- this uh, this case is is awesome just because of the people that that witnessed it and what they actually were willing to do as far as. Risk their names, I guess you could say, because a lot of the, the witnesses in this case were police officers.
1: Yeah. And another thing that's important, I think, to mention is that the witnesses were independent witnesses. Yes. So they weren't all at the same place. And most of their stories go something like this. They hear the radio chatter, and then they think it must be a joke, or they ask the dispatcher, this is a joke, right? And then they're mm-hmm. basically laughing at it with their buddies until they see it themselves, and then they start taking it seriously. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's one of the important things for a good sighting is that the witnesses are independent. It gives a lot more credibility than a, f- a couple of friends hanging out who could easily hoax something. Yeah,
0: yeah. And the chain of events fol- follows uh, a, a very precise timeline. It also follows the direction in which the, the, the object was uh, traveling as well.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure.
0: So the, let's talk about the uh, the beginning of the event. Um, the first sighting was at 10.30 p.m. and is actually on the 4th. Uh, most people mention this event as having taken place on the 5th. But the first uh, potential sighting was actually on the 4th at 10.30 p.m. And that was in Lake Forest, Illinois.
1: Uh, that is correct. And um, do you do you know who who made that sighting? From what I could tell, it was an anonymous report.
0: Okay, yeah, I didn't I didn't, I didn't find any names either. I was looking for some names for that particular timestamp, and I couldn't find any.
1: I think the one at ten thirty came out after the fact. I think that was a civilian witness who saw this stuff and then came out after the whole event hit the news. So no, it I wasn't. See it wasn't a part of the evening's narrative as far as, you know, the radio communications and all that stuff. Mm-hmm.
0: But in, in the uh, interest of chronolo- chronological order, we want start, to start off with the first potential sighting as far as time goes. So the next sighting was where, where it kind of uh, kicks off as far as the story goes. And um, that was going to be at 4 a.m., I believe. And that was by a truck driver named Melvin Knoll.
1: Yeah, so I want to go through the sightings, um, what they described, though, because the descriptions are a little different between the witnesses. Oh, yeah. So the Lake Forest, what I have is that they reported a triangular-shaped UFO, much bigger than a 747, headed towards them from the northeast. They said it was slow and silent, and it had 500 lights spaced evenly across the underside, and it went directly overhead, Mm -hmm. So this is – every witness has a little different view of it. This guy had to go directly overhead. That didn't happen to all the witnesses. And Mm -hmm. they all describe different things depending on their vantage point, whether they're seeing the same craft or who knows. It's anybody's guess. But uh, that's – I think that's an important detail to put in there. Okay. Sorry to interrupt. Why don't you – do you want to continue with Melvin Knoll?
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm going to go ahead and continue with the uh, old Melvin or Melvren. <laughs> I've seen a couple different different uh, spellings of his name, but we'll call him – I'm going to call him Melvin. I prefer that name. So he's a truck driver, and um, at 4 a.m., he was uh, arriving back to his office because he was done with his deliveries for the day. So he says that he uh, – Looks up as he's going, uh, getting out of his truck, and he sees a, a very bright star. And he just, you know, makes a mental note, I suppose, and saying, you know, it's brighter than normal. He says he uh, spends a couple minutes inside the office. He comes out and he looks back up in the sky and he sees that that bright light is moving. Um, he said it was moving off to the southwest. So he said he saw the, 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 the star grow larger and that there were red lights flashing underneath it as well. Uh, he says he could see the side uh, view of the, the craft. He says that there, there was about six windows alongside the craft, and it was very bright inside these windows, very bright lights coming out. Um, I think he said it was traveling very slow. Uh, it wasn't making any noise. He said it stopped for a short period of time and then proceeded to move along the same route as before.
1: Yeah, and then the next report we have is just a few minutes later, 12 minutes later at 4.12 a.m. Mm-hmm. in Lebanon, a dispatch contacts Officer Ed Barton and asked him to look for the UFO. He thought it was a joke at first, but then he saw it in the direction of Summerfield. Mm-hmm. He turned on the lights of his vehicle and headed towards it at high speed. And while he was headed towards it, an anonymous civilian saw it for about two minutes they described it as being about 900 feet in altitude, a distance of about 800 feet. And they said it was at least two times the size of a C 5 cargo plane or 450 feet across. And the reason they probably said C 5 cargo plane is because this is near an Air Force base and C 5 cargo planes are very commonly seen in the sky. And I Googled a picture of one and they are friggin' huge. They're big. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyways, it was boomerang-shaped, sh- boomerang and it had lights around the perimeter. It moved slowly, and had a quiet rumbling sound like a V8 engine. It moved west towards Lebanon. Okay, do you want to pick up with uh, the rest of Ed Barton's description? Yeah,
0: absolutely. Uh, so, so uh, Officer Barton of the Lebanon Police Department, um, you know, when he first uh, received the the call from dispatch, he he asked. First, if the guy was DUI, if he, if he was drunk, because, you know, uh, something like that, you're going to – you want to make sure that the person's not under the influence of something. So is there any um, point to look into what the person is claiming to begin with,
1: right? Yeah. Although I always – a lot of these cases you see and say, oh, well, were they drunk when they saw it? I was like, you know mm-hmm. what, dude? I've had quite a few – I've tossed back a few in my time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I've never – once hallucinated anything, how cool would that be if all you had to do is drink a few beers and go outside and look up and you saw UFOs, right? Am I right?
0: <laughs> yeah, I'd be, I'd be drinking a lot more beer. I can tell you that much.
1: But anyways, that, that doesn't really matter for the Barton sighting. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry for that little diversion. Continue, please. Uh, it's no big deal.
0: So, so the reason why obviously dispatch was was uh, requesting this was because you know the truck driver Melvin Nolheid came in and was very particular about how he was describing, he was very adamant, you know, um, he, he definitely saw something and that's the reason why the dispatcher decided to basically say, okay, I'm going to go ahead and put this out over the the radio just to see if, if, you know, somebody might have seen something as well. So, Mm -hmm. um, you can actually hear people in the background laughing like, uh, in some of these clips and stuff, some of the audio recordings of the, the dispatch,
1: Oh yeah, I think I think it might be important for us to mention that we didn't mention that you can find actual recordings of the police radio during the event.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, and I think those are those are uh, very important to listen to because you know, it kind of adds a level of sincerity to the evidence cuz these people aren't acting. You can tell they're pretty genuine about the way that they're reacting to the situation. It's an odd, it's a odd situation and they feel very uneasy about it.
1: Right. And this isn't something they did in a studio. These are the actual live radio communications. And it would be very unusual for them to hoax all this stuff. And they they definitely do seem very genuine in the recordings.
0: So after uh, Officer Barton decides to go ahead and and look into what uh, what was being talked about over the dispatch.
1: Yeah. Remember, he was... um, he was chasing it with his lights on his vehicle
0: yeah yeah he ter- he he turned his wigwags on
1: yeah and then <laughs> then he he pulled over <laughs> is that, is that the technical term for him, <laughs> wigwags <laughs> yeah I,
0: I always thought that was a i don't know it's i'm sure there's a reason why they're called that but i always thought that was the dumbest name for Spinning red, spinning red and blue lights. You know,
1: I you know, I imagine that came up in a city council meeting. You go, why are you guys zooming around with your lights on all the time? You go, oh, what are wigwags? We're just they're just wigwags. Don't worry about it, man. I go, yeah. oh, they're wigwags. Well, that sounds really <laughs> cute. We can deal with that.
0: Don't you? Don't you <laughs> worry about them wigwags, there,
1: sir. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that before. It's probably so,
0: it's probably just whoever designed the thing you just called them wigwags. You know,
1: yeah, could could be. So Officer Barton pulls over. He chases it for a little while. Then he pulls over to the side of the road to view the object. Mm-hmm. He shut down his car and his lights so that he could see it. Because, you know, the lights are bright. He yeah. sees it headed towards Lebanon. It has bright white light on each corner and red blinking light on the bottom center. The forward mm-hmm. light shot a beam toward the ground, but it didn't actually touch the ground. About a thousand feet up. It stopped, it hovered for a little bit, and then it did a pivot in place, like a, like hundred or not 180, but like a 90 degree pivot in place, mm-hmm. and then continued moving slowly on its path. That's a very important observation, because we don't really have any aircraft that can make a dead stop, pivot in place, and then continue on, at least not that we know of. Yeah, So it, it made a pivot, and then it continued on. The rear of the object had a solid white light across the back with a thin strip of multicolored lights in the center and horizontal. You said it, was, it looked
0: a lot like a rainbow, right?
1: Yeah. He reached into his car radio to talk to dispatch. It took him about three or four seconds, he said. And when he looked back up, the object had gone about six miles away toward Shiloh. Mm -hmm. And a a rough calculation would indicate that that would be about 7,000 miles per hour. I didn't find that number (laughs) online. I kind of did that calculation myself. Mm -hmm. So it's probably completely inaccurate. But Mm -hmm. (laughs) anyways, really fast. That would be far faster than anything we have. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah
0: I, I think and I'm probably and I'm going to be doing this quite a bit, but I, I think the audio evidence that came out of that dispatch center is very important because you can hear the way that these people or these officers are reacting to this. You know, one of the quotes that, that um, you can look up, you can, you can find these recordings. Uh, Officer Barton says, be advised, there is a very bright light, a white light east of town, and it keeps mm-hmm. it keeps changing colors. I'll go over there and see maybe if it's an aircraft. It doesn't look like an aircraft, though. So, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, he, he was assessing the situation as he was going. Let's see. Uh, he also says it's not a moon. It's not a star. And um, he, he also says that the, later on in an interview, he had said that um, it looked like a, a long black mass, you know, a triangle. it was moving, mm-hmm. it was moving slow. And, and, yeah, when the craft turned around, that's when it revealed the rainbow. But, uh, you know, these uh, recordings are very important, you know, because it's it's kind of written in stone, I guess you could say, you know.
1: Yeah, and it's a primary source. It's not what a newspaper is saying about the event, which I've found to be incredibly unreliable. It's the actual event we have on tape, which is Mm -hmm. pretty rare. The only other one I can think of off the top of my head where we have an audio tape while the event is happening would be the Rendlesham Forest incident, which – I think mm-hmm. we discussed that one very briefly on our uh, one of our Lake and Heath uh, Bentwaters yes. episode. Yeah.
0: Well, and also w- these officers, people have to keep in mind as well. Every single thing that they say on on dispatch obviously is recorded, and they it, whatever they say on dispatch, they have to basically be confident that they can defend what they said in court. Because anything that they say on that on that radio it can be used in court if it happens to be necessary. As the uh, UFO was following its path, the next witness was uh, an officer out of Shiloh. Is that correct?
1: Uh, Yeah. Officer David Martin is what I have next. Okay. you Want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So, Officer David Martin of Shiloh, he heard the radio chatter about the object. 51 seconds after Barton reported it near Shiloh, Martin saw it. He was driving east on Lebanon Avenue. He said it had three lights on the bottom and a line toward the back. It had red and green blinking lights in front of the three lights. He pulled over and noted that it was silent. He estimated the width at the size of a football field a 100 yards. The underside was irregular, like it had plumbing and pieces of Legos. One section appeared to be lower than the other's, and he compared it to the way a battleship looks. So if you think of the tower on a battleship, probably like turned upside down on the bottom of the object. While he was watching it, it shot away suddenly in the blink of an eye without any sound to the west over the Belleville area. And uh, so do you, do you have any thoughts on the um, David Martin sighting of, of this thing? You, you know, the,
0: what, what he describes definitely doesn't seem like something that's a technology that I've ever seen and the main reason why is that is because it slowed down hovered and then took off at a very high rate of speed right. i've heard some i've heard some theories about you know it, it could be a stealth blimp i've heard that term thrown around <clears throat> but if it was a stealth blimp or something then it wouldn't be able to take off like how he described it definitely could hover and and move at these slow speeds and stuff and it could be as large as well, I think, that you know that people are describing, but it would right. be able to take off like he was describing
1: well, especially silently. So an object yeah, that yeah. large would would not be able to withstand whether or not there were passengers in it, because certainly no people in there would be able to withstand the g forces. But the airframe mm. would not be able to withstand the g forces either with traditional propulsion methods. And mm-hmm. it, again, it wouldn't be silent. So the only way that it could move that quickly would be as if it had some kind of novel propulsion system, like the Ab- Al- Al-Q- Alcubierre drive that we talked about I before. Almost,
0: I almost thought you were going to say Alcucui.
1: Alcucui. I almost did say that. I was. Yeah. It. It. The name of the guy <laughs> slipped my mind for a moment there. <laughs> Who? Tony <laughs> Ferguson. His, yeah. Tony. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, no, Dr. Alcubierre, who theorized the drive where it bends space-time around the ship oh, yeah. rather than the ship just moving through. Anyways, it would have to have something like that to where it, didn't, it wasn't subject to the forces of inertia. Otherwise, mm-hmm. the thing would just get ripped apart. Mm-hmm. So next up we have uh, at 4.39 a.m. Uh, the, well, the next one I have is 4.39 a.m. and Millstat. Do you want to talk a little bit about the uh, about him?
0: I would. I will. You know, one of the uh, this is actually probably my favorite series of dispatch interactions, just because of how he reacted to it. And mm-hmm. um, I think you could tell in, in uh, interviews and stuff that's available online, you could you could see about, uh, that this guy gave. He seems pretty genuine. You know, he seems like a a, a bit of a character. But so so Craig Stevens when he was talking to Dispatch and he re- was reporting on uh, the object he was uh, viewing while he was talking to him, um, he says that you know, the the object is huge. Uh, dispatch asked him, "What does it look like to you?" He says, "It looks kind of like a V-shaped uh, object." Um, and then it was kind of funny because the dispatcher hums the the Twilight Zone theme song. <laughs> and then he replies back, "Yeah, really," or something like that, you know. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Officer uh, Stevens decided decided to stop his vehicle, and he went to his truck immediately. Uh, it, it seems like instinctually, I, I think he actually described it that like that as well. But back then, he had a Polaroid camera in his uh, trunk. He he snaps a picture of it, and that's the only tangible actual evidence uh, that we have relating to the 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 sighting is that one Polaroid picture and. Anybody can pull up a picture online of it and see it's not very clear in any way shape or form really. It's very dark. You can see some lights in it, but there's no really as far as my my opinion goes, there's no really real conclusions you can make from that that photo. You know, it could it could yeah. be recreated in any any
1: number of ways. The photo d- is interesting and there has been some analysis on it. The lights on the photo have sort of like a J shape that would be caused, if you press the button, that could cause that J shape because the the action of pressing the button moves the camera. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. The the photo does look genuine. It does not look like it was hoaxed or fabricated. But Mm -hmm. again, like you're saying, it's basically just a black photo. It's just completely black with some squiggly lights on there. But there are some, you can find online, people have taken it, and tried to get rid of the squigglies and see how the lights would look if it was had been taken while the camera was still. Mm-hmm. And it it doesn't disprove the sighting. So it does match up with what the sightings say. But unfortunately, mm-hmm. the photo is not clear enough to make out any details.
0: Yeah, yeah. Which is a shame because, you know, that, that year 2000, that, that was, you know, getting into some you know the cusp of, of when we started to see some some better technology as far as like digital cameras and, and stuff like that you know yeah so if if only he would have had you know something cool on in his trunk to, to take a better picture or even just you know a regular camera with, with film yeah
1: you know? i read that also the uh, that it was very cold that night and the temperature may have affected the quality of the photo as well but i don't know that oh, much okay. about polaroid so i can't really say one way or the other if if that's true
0: Yeah, yeah, I think I've used them a couple times in my life. I've never owned a, a Polaroid camera.
1: Officer Craig Stevens described the object as being arrowhead shaped and with a concave rear. It had a horizontally moving strobe light on the rear of the craft. The whole rear face was white lights. He said it was about 500 feet off the ground and he heard a faint buzz like the buzz from a power transformer. He said the texture looked blocky, also like a battleship. The stars above the object were projected on its underside, which I think is a pretty significant detail. Mm -hmm. And that's also, if you remember, that's a detail that a lot of the witnesses to the Phoenix Lights, another triangle sighting, they also said that it made the stars look shimmery or that the stars were projected on the bottom of the craft from above. Mm -hmm. And to me... This sort of seems like it, it might support – I was thinking about it, and at first I thought maybe it's some sort of crude stealth-type technology. But then I thought, if they are trying to be stealthy, why would they have all these lights on everywhere? Mm-hmm. So maybe it's a result of some sort of novel propulsion system like the Alcubierre drive. Now, yeah. if, if it's bending space-time, as a result, it might also bend light around the craft. It might create this bubble and sort of distort things. So who knows? But it's a really interesting detail.
0: I agree that that is one thing that kind of has stood out to me is is the flashing lights that people do claim to have seen. Yep. It, I mean, if it's alien, the, the, why the hell would it have flashing lights? You know, because what, what is the point? What is the, what's the reason, you know?
1: Well, yeah, but at the same time, if it was a, obviously, if it was a terrestrial vehicle, it would have to be a black project. 100% would have to be a black project. hmm but first, let me finish up with, uh, with I wonder, Officer Stevens. I, I wonder so, if they,
0: they still have to uh, abide by OSHA standards.
1: Yeah, I bet. <laughs>
0: Maybe that's that's the reason why those those lights are there.
1: So Officer Stevens, like you said, took the Polaroid, and he also saw the object make a slow turn in place as it sort of hovered. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, like what the other officers saw. So I just, sorry, I just wanted to finish up that. I wanted to add that he saw it make a quick turn yeah or a slow turn in there before we talked about more stuff. But yeah, if it was a black project, it might have lights on. But if it was a black project, they wouldn't fly it over civilian airspace like this. Like it was, it was not necessarily going in a straight line. It was flying, you know, from this point to that point and then making turns and flying around. Mm-hmm. And they have a lot of airspace where they fly this kind of airplanes like... You know, Area 51 or Edwards Air Force Base—that's like out in the middle of nowhere. They don't fly this stuff over airports. Uh, that's just not generally how the government operates. Uh, yeah. Anything's possible, but well, you know. and I
0: think it—it it, it is also uh, important to note as well that th- there's two military air uh, air force bases in that area. Scott Air Force Base is, is the main Air Force Base that most people mention, but there's also another one, which is Whiteman Air Force Base that, that's off to the west, I believe, uh, of, of mm-hmm. where where this whole incident took place. And in, interestingly enough, that's the only place in the world, as far as in, in North America, I don't know about the world to be for sure, but it's the only place that the, the United States flies B-2 stealth
1: bombers out of. Hmm. And there's also St. Louis International Airport that's not that far away Mm -hmm. in addition to those two bases. Yes. All right. So next up, we have Officer Matt Janey saw the object. Do you want to tell us a little bit about his sighting?
0: So at any rate, so at 4.37 a.m., moments later after Officer Stevens had uh, witnessed what he witnessed, there was an officer from DUPO that chimed in uh, into dispatch as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that, a little bit about that, Agent Anderson?
1: Yeah, Officer Matt Janey had heard the radio chatter, traveling northbound on Interstate 255. He was looking for the object and he pulled over to look for it, and he was joined by another officer. They joked about the object a little bit while they listened to the radio chatter. The other officer left and Janey continued driving. After he drove for a little while, he saw a brightly lit object to the east. The altitude was similar to an aircraft on landing approach. Its lights were brighter than a normal aircraft would be. He saw large. He saw a large red light on the bottom of the craft and white lights flashing around the object's perimeter. He said he also saw it through binoculars. So we know that he wasn't just reporting a strange light on the horizon. He saw it close up through binoculars. Mm-hmm. And I say that because... Uh, with this particular report, skeptics like to say, oh, he just saw a light at the distance because he didn't report it going directly overhead like some of the other witnesses. Yeah, But he did report seeing it through binoculars. So we know that he saw with good detail that it was an un- definitely an unusual craft.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And he was also in the mind state of attempting to observe what he was looking at. Was, yeah. You know, he wasn't just happen- happening to see something. He was trying to see something, right? I mean, yeah. I, know, I know the way I'm describing it is very simplistic, but that's a, that's a very imp- important
1: um, distinction, you know, as far as his observation is concerned. And St. Louis International Airport asked him to confirm the object's location and told him that they did not have the object on radar. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I just have one more sighting for the event, the final sighting, which was in uh, Centerville, East St. Louis at 6.50 a.m., did you get any notes on this one with it's a school teacher Stephen Wunacot <laughs> <Winnicott. laughs>
0: I was going I was waiting to see how you're going to pronounce that.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I was going to base my my pronunciation off of yours <laughs> the mistakes that you had
1: made. So I'm trying to be it, serious here man. This is serious.
0: <laughs> yeah, whichever comes first, you know. Uh, so yeah, Stephen Wunacot. I I'm just going to pronounce it Wunacot. Okay. So, yeah, he's a high school teacher. And, um, yeah, he, he claims that he saw it in the sky. He thought it may have been a plane from uh, the nearby airport, the public airport that you were talking about. What was, what was the name of that?
1: That was St. Louis International Airport.
0: Oh, the old St. Louis. That's right. Yeah. And it had three bright lights on it, three very bright white lights, but it did not have the normal red and green navigation lights that you'd normally see on a plane. He say, it claimed um, He claimed. As the sun came up, he could see that the craft was shaped like an arrowhead. It didn't have wings or, or horizontal stabilizers like you would normally see on a, an aircraft.
1: All right. I think that's that's all of the sightings we have for this particular event. Now, let's go ahead and let's just talk about some of the some of the interesting things that came up when I was looking into this. Mm-hmm. So one idea that came up was that if it was a government craft of some kind, like let's say a stealth blimp or whatever that we would know about it by now because this was in 2000 remember mm-hmm. and it's almost 20 years later now just to put it into perspective in the 1980s we knew we knew pretty much everything that they had going on in the 1960s i mean 20 years mm-hmm. is a long time but i'm kind of skeptical of this viewpoint because just because it was 20 years ago doesn't mean that the government would reveal the secret project what mm-hmm. do you think agent eta
0: I would agree with that that point of view for sure because you, you never know what the real reason why information like that is released, technology is released. I would always assume that if, if something is released as far as like a, a stealth plane or some some new design for a, a whatever, a tank or whatever wep- weapon of some sort, right? Mm-hmm. It's because they already have something else uh, new and shiny waiting in the wings, you know? right. They, they release that because it's not a big deal if they do. I, I yeah. mean, at least I would assume if I were in their shoes that, you know, I would, I guess I would do it like that. But, you know, it, it's kind of funny. There, there there's some things that, that, that kind of stood out to me that weren't necessarily stated in particular, uh-huh. like, like uh, for instance, how the, how the air force re, uh, reacted to it. So they, yeah. they're they uh, one of the representatives of their public uh, officials, or I'm sorry, what is the term? Um, the, the the public, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm brain farting
1: right now. Public know, information I, officer, maybe.
0: I think it's a public information officer. Whoever uh, generally responds to like media, you know. Uh-huh. Uh But I know that the guy's name was Lieutenant Colonel Allen um, Danky. <laughs> I'm not sure his, the way you pronounce the way his name is spelled is D A H N C K E.
1: Ooh, that's I, a tough one.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna pronounce danky because that sounds fun to me. You know. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so, anyways, he's uh, one of those like public uh, information officers for the Scott Air Force Base, and the way that they reacted to it was was basically, they don't know nothing. We didn't see nothing. Nothing's happening. You know, like it, they didn't have yeah. a story, a story ready. You know, uh, yeah. one of the quotes that I, I could actually uh, uh, quote him as uh, having said is our airfield was closed during that time. And he even said that the uh, the uh, control tower was closed as well. There's nobody in there. Uh, you know, yeah. they, they said that they, they didn't have any kind of uh, stealth operations out of that base, which it, uh, uh, it appears that that would be true because why would you if you have another base that, that, that is already handling that, very, you know, pretty close, you know?
1: Yeah. I also read that they claimed they didn't have any working radar on the base, which is ridiculous because you could drive by it and actually see the radar spinning around out there. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> so well, they're just- and, and why wouldn't you have constant radar up? Right? right. Why? Why wouldn't you be constantly monitoring monitoring the area? I mean, yeah. I, I, I don't know. It's I, I've never worked in that industry, so it's not like I know the ins and outs. I, I can only assume, and obviously assumptions can be naive. So,
1: yeah. But you you can't imagine having an air base without a radar. It just seems kind of silly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Especially a, a military base yeah <laughs> <laughs> of all bases you know well i mean any base right but you know it, you know th- there's actually been a couple interesting things that have uh, came to fruition i guess out of this this incident mm-hmm. um there was a a company called sigma animation that conducted mm-hmm. a full-scale investigation of the incident um with with the intent of recreating the uh, the event in animation i i guess this company had uh, a very uh, well, I don't know how long of a history, but they they had a good reputation at the time, of uh, recreating events in courtrooms and uh, offering those recreations to either defense teams or prosecution teams as you know uh, a, a piece of not necessarily evidence, but uh, you know. A piece of animation to describe exactly what happened. I guess you could say, right? Mm-hmm. So this this team, um, I, I, this investigation was uh, headed up by this this fellow named uh, David Mesa or David, yeah, David Messa. So he was a technical animator, and and they actually hired different people. Um, this guy uh, Eric uh, Euclin he was a private mm-hmm. investigator from uh, Philadelphia. And the guy had a supposedly over ten years of like a field interview uh, experience before they hired him, and he was a guy that uh, that conducted all the interviews with the people that um, had experienced this this event, and they used his uh, interviews to re reconduct or I'm sorry um, recreate the event basically in animation, and and some of the, some of this is a uh, uh, there's one. Um, documentary that, that talks about it. Uh, I forget the name of the documentary, um, but but they go over it pretty thoroughly. And, and the, the way that they recreate it, it's pretty rudimentary, like uh, as far as like, you know, the type of effects that we're used to seeing in movies, movies and stuff like that nowadays. It, it's going to look like a, a pretty crude rendering, <laughs> I guess you could say, but it's still nonetheless kind of cool that, that somebody took the effort to go out there and actually um, spend money and and time to to recreate the event that happened, you know, and I th- I think that also speaks to the le- the legitimacy of of the type of witnesses that are involved in this case. Because if you didn't have this type of legitimacy, then somebody like that wouldn't have spent that time and effort in, into investigating it and, and recreating it.
1: One interesting thing about this case, well, well uh, oh, hold on, let me let me do a different segue. There. I wonder how
0: much of that. <laughs> I, I wonder how much of my rant uh, you you're, you're going to have to edit out, right? <laughs> that I just no, made. no, that was
1: that was no, that was good. That was good. <laughs> I just I don't really have anything to add because I think he's pretty much said it all for uh, oh. for that little subtopic. <laughs> I was just going to switch because I have a bunch of miscellaneous things, but they don't really necessarily segue to each other all that easily. But mm-hmm. there's stuff I think worth mentioning, and I'm sure you have some stuff too. A lot of skeptics try and dismiss this case because the witnesses have very different descriptions.
0: One notable individual that I kind of thought was was interesting that the person w- would uh, comment on the the incident it, uh-huh. uh, the person so this guy his name is chuck east uh, Eastlake, and he's mm. an aeronautics professor uh-huh. and he claims that he did a study on the event. And especially he did a study on the claim that, uh, people were, were making that it was a B2 bomber, basically, because, you know, the B2 bomber, bomber is triangular in shape. It's, it's uh-huh. a wedge, right? Yeah. It's a, f- a flying wedge, I think is a term. And, um, basically he made a very simple statement, basically saying that, if it was a B-2 bomber, then it, it was pro- it was propelled by something that we don't know of because the absolute bare minimum, like mile per hour at least, that, that a B-2 bomber can fly is 140 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. So if it was flying at 140 miles an hour, some, some of these maneuvers that are claimed to have been witnessed would be basically impossible.
1: You know? Yeah. A lot of the skeptics will say, That you can dismiss this case because the witnesses all describe different objects. Some of them describe, you know, a boomerang. Some of them describe something that's more of more of like a rectangle. Mm -hmm. But if you think about it, if you could imagine, let's say, an arrowhead shaped object with a rough surface, that could very easily explain why viewing it from different angles You would see different light configurations and different shapes, especially at night when you probably couldn't see the outline of the object very well.
0: Yeah, at at nighttime with with, with a a large object like that, and especially, you know, that you're probably going to be at at awe at what you're experiencing. It it could be, you know, you could misinterpret what you're seeing, I guess you could say, right? Yeah. That could easily happen.
1: One of one of my favorite well, not one of my favorite, this case actually has attached to it the best skeptical explanation of all time. This is my absolute favorite. Tops everything. <laughs> okay. This uh-huh. is even better than swamp gas. I see so where
0: are you going? Yes. <laughs>
1: Philip Philip J. Class, who is everybody who's knows anything about skeptics, he's like the biggest name in skeptics, or at least he was. I think he passed away. But uh-huh. his explanation for this case was Drum roll, please. The planet <laughs> Venus, which I'm sure you knew I was going to say Venus because it's it's always Venus. But yes. still, when you have a case where people are reporting, you know, something the size of two football fields flying around, it looks like a triangle and all this other, you know, completely fantastical things. And then yeah, he just I looks at the case. You know, it's,
0: it's a, yeah, it's a triangular shaped uh, aircraft. that's moving very slowly, quietly. Sometimes it's, make, it's making a humming noise. Uh, yeah. You know, <laughs> it has a rainbow at the back of it in between, you know, these very bright lights and stuff. And yeah, I mean, it's Venus.
1: Yeah. Venus it has to be Venus. Na-
0: naturally. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> so I like that's You know, usually these guys are ridiculous, but this one is just, it's just so disconnected from what the witnesses <laughs> saw. It's, I don't know if he was senile or if he was maybe he read one case and then he thought he was commenting on a different case. I don't know. But it's yeah. it's my favorite just because of how ridiculous it is. Rather lazy, sir.
0: Not well yeah. met at all.
1: I found some reports. For example, there are claims that television stations were silenced. The government said, don't report mm-hmm. it. And one of the police officers reported that two men from the government – he said it was probably someone from the federal government told him to stop talking about it. I don't, did you hmm. see any reports like that where the government was trying to hush up the the case at all?
0: You know, no more than what you already just said. Um, yeah, there's not a whole lot that, uh, as far as that goes, that, that I know about. But and I know that one thing that really kind of struck me about this is the similarities to to other events that have happened, not just in this country, in the United States, but worldwide. You know, I mean, first of all, okay. So in this country, another triangular shaped object that was uh, uh, observed was March nineteen ninety seven in Phoenix, Arizona, where hundreds of people saw a triangular shaped object with bright white lights under it. You know, Mm -hmm. and uh, another very interesting uh, series of events happened in Belgium. In nineteen or so it was throughout nineteen eighty-nine through nineteen ninety-one. Thousands of people reported seeing triangular-shaped objects above Belgium. And the, the, the cool thing about this is it was triangular-shaped crafts with white lights on the bottom and red blinking lights in the center. Right. How very interesting, right? I mean
1: and it's interesting you bring that up too, because generally speaking, when you have top secret technology it won't stay the same for so many decades. And like you're saying, mm-hmm. we have very similar reports throughout many decades all over the mm-hmm. world. And it's yeah. sort of, it, it seems implausible to me that all of those could be due to the same top secret aircraft. I guess you could say that a lot of countries around the world are building the same thing, but mm. it still, it's really, it's really worth mentioning. I think.
0: Oh, absolutely. No doubt. No doubt. Because this isn't a standalone incident, I don't think. Oh, not at all. I think that this craft is is the same craft that has been observed in a couple different spots. I couldn't tell you who may be in control of it. I really have no idea. But I think because of the similarities between some descriptions of events, it lines up well enough with this event where – I think this craft has been experimented with um, in different spots around the world. Maybe, you know, maybe it's something that has been around for a while, and they're just uh... all right. So basically, I'll come out straight and say it, rather than beating around the bush. I think that th- <laughs> I think that this craft is a government technology, whether it be a government like the United States, whether it be China, whether it be Russia, whoever the heck it may be. I think that this is a technology that has been around for a little bit at least. Um, Maybe not, you know, 60 years, 70. I I think maybe more so around the lines of maybe 30, 40 years. Mm -hmm. And it's something that um, is potentially, you know, a, a, a research craft of sorts. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the only reason why I say that is because of uh, the long span of uh, sightings that, that line up with this description of a triangle-shaped craft with white, bright lights under it and red blinking light in the middle.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, some these descriptions are sp- are far spread in the timeline. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So maybe it's something that, that is used as a experimental craft that's um, – you know, collects data from time to time using this particu- particular type of technology, right? Mm-hmm. So that it's like a, a way to get a baseline reading, I guess, on uh, this technology. <laughs> I, I don't <laughs> think I'm describing it quite, quite <laughs> uh, thoroughly enough. Maybe I'm not capable of doing that. You no, know? I, think, but,
1: I think that makes sense.
0: Yeah, but uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe I have also gone too far down the rabbit hole.
1: Maybe, yeah. <laughs> so... Aliens. So what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I, think <laughs> I think it's a possibility um, that this could be an alien craft. I think we, we've we covered the, the possibility that it's a government craft, and I think that's plausible. Mm-hmm. I think it's completely plausible, like you were just mm-hmm. saying, that this is a top-secret craft of some kind. But um, they would have to have some sort of really advanced propulsion capabilities in order for this to move – And it's possible. It's very possible that they've developed that and we just don't know about it. But on Mm -hmm. the other hand, it's possible, I think, for it to be an alien craft as well. And I, I think you mentioned earlier, why would an alien craft have lights on it? Maybe they would just put lights on there so they don't get collided with from our airplanes. Because even if they're high technology, we could still damage their craft by running a 747 into it. So... Uh, I don't know that just occurred to me while, while we were talking earlier, I didn't get a chance to say it, Yeah. but it's
0: possible because from their perspective, they may see uh, us flying as basically like flying blind in one direction, you know? Right. <laughs> they may see, yep. uh, see us as just Neanderthals with this ability that we don't have the, the full control over yet.
1: Yeah and I saw a witness statement that so this witness came out uh many years after the event and I didn't put it in the main narrative because it it's after the fact so in my opinion it's not as reliable but there's a witness mm-hmm. that said he was uh he was driving a big rig and he pulled over on the side of the road and he saw the object but he saw a triangle on one side and then a rectangle object on the other So he Mm -hmm. saw two different objects simultaneously. And this could also explain the the different descriptions that the witnesses had. But the the descriptions in general, with with like the pipes and looking like a, a battleship with like tons of stuff sticking off of it. And yeah. It it just it doesn't sound like something we would build, but again, just because it doesn't behave and look like something that we know of doesn't mean that it wasn't built by somebody on Earth. But on the other hand, I think, like I already said, I think there's a a good chance it could be extraterrestrial as well. But unfortunately, there's really no way of knowing without the Mm -hmm. government coming forward and telling us what they know about it, which, of course, they'll never do.
0: Yeah, you're right about that. Uh, On this one in particular, I'm very open to interpretation uh, just because of uh, how... how the, there's so many different possibilities with this one it, you know, yeah it's I, i'm just i'm waiting for more information I, I hope that some does come out uh but I think there's enough to to know at the very least that this is this was a real incident that somebody yeah. th- these people really saw something and they reacted to something you know it, it yeah. wasn't something that that was a a cheap uh, pu- publicity stunt you know what i mean i mean yeah. we'll, we'll Shit, the, um, I think, I believe it was the Highland Police Department or the Lebanon mm-hmm. Police Department. Um, I forget which one it was. But but one of those two departments actually published information about the sighting on their website, on the police department website. You know, it's, why would they do that unless they think something actually really happened?
1: I kind of want it to be, I want it to be a top secret aircraft because it's just kind of easier. It sits easier in my mind, but I keep going back to certain facts of the witnesses, like how fast it moved from pretty much a dead stop. And Mm -hmm. so we're talking about approximately 7,000 miles per hour. And that's like Mach 10 or something. That's really, really fast. And Mm -hmm. it's not just a matter of having the energy to propel something that quickly. It's also the air resistance At such a low altitude, whether it's a thousand feet or five thousand feet, the wind resistance, the inertial forces of accelerating that quickly, it would it would just tear any craft apart. So like I was I think I touched on earlier, you would have to have something that would bend stuff around the aircraft or that would it would able to be able to move through normal matter like air without any Mm -hmm. resistance at all. Basically, it would not be touching the air in some way. And it, mm-hmm. it's just kind of stretches, I think, the capabilities of what we can do. Do we really have something that can do this? I suppose you you could argue maybe it's like a holographic projection or something like that. That I mean, that would make sense. Yeah.
0: Or it could be, you know, technology that we recovered from an alien aircraft that had possibly crashed, right, and that we yeah. uh, reverse engineered. I, I think that's a complete possibility as well.
1: Yeah, that's that's another possibility. But what whatever the case is, it's a really fun case for me because it's completely open-ended and like you were saying, there it could be a lot of different things. You kind of just have to think about it and use your imagination, I suppose, to mm-hmm. to imagine what it could be. That's everything I have to say about this case. Uh, I have you uh, anything else to add?
0: No, I think that's going to that's going to do it. That's about everything that I have at the moment. Um, the next thing that we do have lined up, though, is going to be relating to the Federal Reserve. And I do think that this is going to be a series of episodes that will hopefully spark some deep interest for people, if at least they haven't looked into this type of information yet.
1: Oh, yeah. This is going to be exciting for me. It, it's it's a really interesting but there's just so much there we have to do multiple episodes on it I think I don't know if we're going to do yeah. them back to back or maybe we'll take a break but there's just yeah. so much there and that we're going to I think next time we're just going to do the history of how the Federal Reserve was formed because that mm-hmm. in and of itself was a conspiracy and yeah. it's not like doing a history report or something like this stuff is a conspiracy and it's a living conspiracy that's with us right now as we speak
0: it affects every single one of us, you know, yeah, and it's 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 kind of funny because uh, in previous episodes we've kind of referenced you know other things that that we can make whole series of uh, episodes about right? Well, this is a topic just for for reference. this is a topic that you can make an entire channel about with never ending episodes I mean, there there's so much involved with. What has happened in reference to the Federal Reserve and, and other incarnations of that type of entity, just in this country alone, let alone yep. the history of a human, the human race, and and, and how uh, you know different type of financial cycles and, and and different types of control over financial systems have evolved. There's, I mean, how how deep do you want to go? You know that that old that old saying: "Follow the money." Man, if you really want to know know some 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 truth of uh, human civilizations and some of the paths, and that we followed, you know, follow the money, man.
1: The the Federal Reserve. The, when I started learning about, let me put it this way: I don't think we need a mind boggle for this. For these episodes, because the case is the mind boggle. It's, it's just unreal.
0: (laughs) Well, we, we could do a mind boggle. Maybe the first one would be, well, uh, here's a mind boggle for you. (laughs) The whole Um, episode. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, shit. it could be as simple as the federal reserve, the name itself. It's not federal as far as the entity would go. uh, And also, as far as we know, it doesn't seem like it has reserves as well. Right. So <laughs> That'd mean, be that be good. That's, that, that's a bar one itself right there just a the name.
1: Or we we could do uh, I was also thinking I don't know if you follow this stuff but recently they started they, they always use this creative terminology so recently they started quote unquote injecting 70 billion dollars a night into the overnight markets. And they mm-hmm. just say, "Oh, it's cool. Don't worry about it. Don't worry. It's fine. We're just injecting money into the system. It's cool. No yeah. big." Yeah. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. What? Seventy billion dollars? That's a lot of friggin' money.
0: <laughs> yeah, they, <laughs> that's yeah, bigger they, than they, a lot
1: of corporations. You know,
0: <laughs> they glanced over that a, a bit faster than you'd think they should. Yeah, <laughs> yeah
1: that's a capital B there. Yeah, you know? <laughs> that, that's. I mean, there's. Well, we won't go into size comparisons. Yeah, that's a lot of friggin' money though. We'll end up the episode, as usual, with a quote this time from Albert Einstein. Why should the Earth be the only planet supporting human life? It is not singular in any other respect, but if intelligent creatures do exist, as we may assume they do elsewhere in the universe, I should not expect them to try to communicate with the Earth by wireless radio. Light rays, the direction of which can be controlled much more easily would more probably be the first method attempted. Okay, thanks for listening.